All right. In 1517, there was a German monk who wrote 95 theses in the hopes of generating debate. Do any of the children know who this German monk was? Martin Luther. Martin Luther, that's right. So Martin Luther wanted to generate a scholastic debate with these, 90, these list of 95 things that he saw wrong with the church at the time. Much to his surprise, um, these things, kind of the post went viral, if you will, and kick-started the Protestant Reformation. Now, the first of these 95 theses focuses on repentance. And I want to read it. And listen carefully. This is Martin Luther's first theses from his famous list of 95 theses that really kick-started the Protestant Reformation. This is what Luther wrote in that first thesis. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Let me read that again. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, Repent... He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So, the Gospel of Matthew records the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4 with these words. I'm going to read from Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the Bible makes it clear that the message of repentance was central to Jesus' message. Matthew Henry says the doctrine of repentance is right gospel doctrine, not only the austere John Baptist, but the gracious Jesus preached repentance. And Thomas Watson says that in Adam we made shipwrecked of our faith, and repentance is the only plank by which we may swim to heaven. Now, we do rightly understand that repentance is a gift of God that causes someone to turn from their sin and turn to Christ. Listen to the London Baptist Confession here, chapter 15. This saving repentance is an evangelical grace. That means it's a, it's a gift, a gospel gift, whereby a person being by the Holy Spirit made sensible of, his manifold, of the manifold evils of his sin, so the Holy Spirit makes you aware of how evil sin really is, of your own personal sin. Doth, by faith in Christ, humble himself for it, that's for his sin, with godly sorrow, detestation of it, and self-abhorrency, praying for pardon and strength of grace, with a purpose and endeavor, by supplies of the Spirit, to walk before God unto all well-pleasing in all things." So the writers of the Confession saw from the Scripture that repentance is a gift from God, a gospel gift, where you see the evil of your sin, you humble yourself, you have godly sorrow, you hate your sin, and you even, in a sense, hate yourself for sinning, self-abhorrency. And you don't stay there, you pray for pardon, strength of grace, um, to walk in obedience. 
Now, if you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm just laying the found groundwork here for uh, repentance in general, and then we're going to focus on the need for continual repentance, but I want us to lay this groundwork of understanding repentance as a gift from God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is one of the most well-known passages that speaks of repentance as a grace, as a gift, in the language of the confession and evangelical grace. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love. And that right there would be your actions if you did repent, that you would be turning from sin and pursuing righteousness. Peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and humility, correcting those who are in opposition. And here's the key. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. So the Bible tells us that God grants repentance. In this case, the the context is an unbeliever, those opposing the truth, those who are lost in their sin and unbelief. And the idea is that God may grant them repentance. He may give them this gift of turning from sin. Now, when the Apostle Peter preached the message of the gospel on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, he concluded his sermon with the charge to repent. If you look at Acts chapter 2, the response of those hearing the gospel was to be a response of repentance. Again, this is laying the groundwork, understanding that repentance is a gift from God that is the initial act of conversion. Faith and repentance are two sides of the coin, if you will, of conversion. And when Peter preached the message of the gospel to the unbelieving crowds, he ended his sermon with the charge to repent. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So there's no doubt that repentance is essential to entering into the Christian life. The new birth brings about repentance and faith in the new believer. However, repentance is not simply a one-time act that happens at conversion. And that brings us back to Martin Luther's first thesis. He said that when Jesus said repent, he will the entire life of the believer should be one of repentance. And this, this focus of Luther is different than the focus in much of American evangelicalism, which focuses on conversion only, uh, focuses on saying a sinner's prayer, walking an aisle, and having the initial act of repentance, which is common in American culture. But this focus by Luther has more to do with the perpetual call to repent in the believer's life of sin over and over again, to not harden our hearts to sin and neglect our great salvation. So we would note then that the command to repent 
that Jesus gives and John the Baptist and Peter and, and many others in the scriptures is not only a command for the unbeliever, but it's also a command for every Christian, no matter how mature in the faith. It is a command to daily repent of any known sins. This is comprehended in Jesus' words in Luke 9.23 when he says, If anyone desires to come to me, to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The command reminds us that we will continually struggle with sin and our failings as long as we are in these earthly bodies. It reminds us that becoming a Christian does not mean we become free from sin. In fact, when we become a Christian... It's the first time we truly fight sin. And I know that was true in my life when I became a Christian. That was the first time I actually had sorrow over my sin. It was the first time I actually wanted to not sin. And prior to that, there was no repentance in my life because I had no need to, to turn from sin in my mind because there was nothing wrong with my sin. In Luther's fourth thesis, he actually touches on this point that this command for repentance is going to be with us continually because of our sin nature. He says in the fourth thesis, the penalty of sin remains as long as the hatred of self, that is, true inner repentance. So that's how Luther describes true inner repentance. Namely, till our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So Luther says, the penalty of sin in our bodies remains as long as we have this continual repentance in our lives until we enter the kingdom of heaven in glory. So we will continually be in need of repentance until we reach perfection. Now the London Baptist Confession agrees with this assessment of the constant need for repentance. And that's what we're focusing on today, the continual need of repentance. The Confession says this, As repentance is to be continued through the whole course of our lives upon the account of the body of death and the motions thereof, so it is every man's duty every woman's duty, every child's duty to repent of his particular known sins particularly. So the writers of the Confession are saying, the command to repent is not simply a one-time command. It's a command that is to be obeyed constantly. Particular sins. We're not just to repent of unbelief in general when we come to Christ, but throughout our lives we are to be repenting of sin. So this command for continual repentance reminds us of our continual need for the grace of God. Repentance, and here's the key, is still a gift of God long after the initial act of repentance and conversion. And that's something we sometimes miss. We acknowledge that repentance is a gift at conversion, but repentance is no less a gift throughout your life as a believer. The confession speaks of God's provision of repentance in the covenant of grace as the means by which we are preserved unto salvation. Listen carefully to this section from, from chapter 15 on repentance. Such is the provision which God hath made through Christ in the covenant of grace for the preservation of believers unto salvation. Okay, so this is about repentance. This is the provision that although there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. So there's any sin that is not repented of, that we're aware of, and we refuse to repent, um, deserves damnation. Yet, there is no sin so great that it shall bring damnation on them that repent. There's no sin too big 
for the Lord Jesus Christ's grace. Those that would repent of their sin will receive abundant mercy. The confession concludes with this, which makes the constant preaching of repentance necessary. So what it's saying is, we talk about the perseverance of the saints, that the, that the saints will endure. The provision that God made so that we would endure in holiness is repentance. That God grants repentance, not just in the initial act of conversion, but throughout our lives, so that we would not be hardened in sin, that we would not fall away. The means that God has ordained for the preservation of believers is that of continual repentance. Without this constant repentance, the heart gets hard. It becomes callous to sin. It becomes callous to wrongdoing. It becomes callous to disobedience. We become cold to righteousness and holiness without constant repentance. So God continually brings about repentance in the life of the believer to keep him from falling, to keep him from pride on one hand and apathy on the other. It also reminds us, I'd add, that when we see our continual need for repentance in our life and we see how often we fail, we're reminded of how amazing it was that the Lord Jesus Christ lived his whole life without the need for repentance. We have a constant need for repentance because we constantly sin. Now, we're growing in grace and holiness, but in fact, as we'll see, the Apostle Paul, as he grew, despite all his spiritual progress and spiritual attainments, he saw himself as the chief of sinners, and he saw himself in daily need of repentance. And so we're reminded of the perfection and beauty of Christ, who never needed repentance in his life at all. He never needed to abhor himself and his sin. Now, it may go without saying that repentance is not fun, it is not pleasant. The language of the confession uses phrases such as detestation of sin or hatred of sin. Right? When you hate something, that thing isn't pleasant to you. You know, we talk about with our children trying to describe hatred, and we talk about mosquitoes and how much we hate having the mosquitoes in our house and biting us, and, and the reason we hate the mosquitoes is because of the the discomfort and um, annoyance they cause us. So when you hate sin, right, it's for a reason. It's because sin brings destruction and ultimately it dishonors God. So the confession uses this language of repentance that it's a hatred of sin. Self-abhorrency. It's a hatred of self for sinning. And this language is found in the Bible as well. I read it in our scripture reading, and I'll reread just the one verse. Ezekiel 36, 31, for those that would say, well, you know, you can't, you can't have self-abhorrency. You need to have self-esteem and, and view yourself highly. That's not what the scripture teaches. I read this verse. I'll read it again. Then you'll remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight. You'll loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. That's Ezekiel 36, 31. That is an essential element of Christianity, of repentance, not just in coming to Christ, but in continually living the Christian life. Now, if you read more of Luther, and he was big on repentance, and we'll also touch on it, you don't stay there in a, in a, in a state of self-hatred and, and don't move on from that. You have to see your sin, but you realize then, when you look at your sin, that you will find no joy and hope in looking at yourself, and you have to turn your gaze to Christ, which 
is one of the, the gifts of, re- one of the benefits of repentance. So, but make no mistake about it, repentance is not something that makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's, a, it's an unpleasant thing to have to repent of sin. But, godly repentance always leads to divine blessing. Repentance does not end with that self-hatred. It leads to one calling upon God for pardon and strength of grace to walk before God unto all well-pleasing in all things. This is the language of the confession. It doesn't end with that self-abhorrency. The last section says it ends with us calling upon God for forgiveness and strength to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. When one sees the manifold evils of his sin and humbles himself for it, he's able to learn and grow. So when we think about repentance, don't just think of the initial act of repentance. Think of those things and then apply them to your own life as you repent of sin throughout your life. It's a painful lesson, but it's a powerful one. And we come to say with the psalmist, Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. That's Psalm 119, 128. Now, Thomas Watson had a work called The Doctrine of Repentance. And and he mentioned six things that are essential to repentance. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I want to read through these briefly. And I want you to think about how these both apply to the initial act of conversion, but also our continual need for repentance in our lives. So repentance is a spiritual medicine that Watson said that consists of six ingredients. First, repentance involves a sight of sin. You see sin. You recognize it. Second, it consists of a sorrow for sin. Right? And again, think about these as an unbeliever seeing their sin, but also as a believer who sees it, an act of sin, is sorrow for, sorry for it, godly sorrow. So a sight of sin, a sorrow for sin. Number three, a confession of sin. Confession is self-accusing. It doesn't put the blame on anyone else. So we would understand that in conversion, that an unbeliever confesses his sin and says, against you and you only have I sinned. But also in our lives as believers, we need to take responsibility for our sin and confess them before the Lord. Number four, it includes a shame for sin. Watson says this, When the heart has been made black by sin, grace makes the face red from blushing. When the heart has been made black by sin, grace makes the face red from blushing. When you see your sin truly, you're, you're ashamed of it. Right? You have shame because you've sinned against God. Number five, a hatred of sin. We've talked about that. He says, you hate sin not only for hell, but as hell. You hate sin as hell because it's that bad and that evil. <clears throat> Sixth, repentance works a turning from sin. So we do not simply have sorrow and a recognition of our sin, but we desire to turn from it. And we see that in conversion, that a person turns from their sin to walk in obedience, and we need that in our own lives as well as we grow in grace. As I said, Paul, who, who saw himself as the chief of sinners, even amidst all his attainments, he knew that he was still a sinner saved by grace. And it must be true that sin itself is never a good thing, right? Sin is evil, and repentance is truly seeing sin as evil. Nevertheless, God uses 
that sin, that evil, for good. Right? God can use evil for good. And He uses our sins in our lives to show us how weak we still are and how much in need of His grace we truly are. And that gift of repentance that He gives us, hopefully daily, reminds us of our need. Reminds us of how far we fall short. It reminds us that if we are Christians, we are not better than others, but simply better off. It reminds us that when we share the message of repentance, we are not people telling other people how good we are, but we are simply beggars telling other beggars where we found bread, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's reported that Luther penned the following words two days before he died. Perhaps the last words he ever wrote, he was traveling, he was actually back in Eisleben where he was born, um, and he was away from his wife, Katerina, and he, he got sick suddenly and, and died, and he was already sick, but he, he got sick um, very severely and died. And These were perhaps the last words he ever wrote. And he said this, We are beggars. This is true. We are beggars. This is true. To the end, Luther recognized the continual need for repentance because we are spiritual beggars. To show us even more our need and to lay us even more in the dust, I wanted to close with the Puritan prayer found in the Valley of Vision, which reminds us that even our repentance itself is often incomplete and lacking, and yet God is still merciful to us. So listen carefully as I read this this prayer written by a Puritan in the Valley of Vision. O grace of God, excuse me, O God of grace, Thou hast imputed my sin to my substitute, and hast imputed his righteousness to my soul, clothing me with a bridegroom's robe, decking me with jewels of holiness. But in my Christian walk, I am still in rags. My best prayers are stained with sin. My penitential tears are so much impurity. My confessions of wrong are so many, aggravations of sin. My receiving the Spirit is tinctured with selfishness. I need to repent of my repentance. I need my tears to be washed. I have no robe to bring to cover my sins, no loom to weave my own righteousness. I am always standing clothed in filthy garments, and by grace am always receiving change of raiment. For thou dost always justify the ungodly. I am always going into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal. Always saying, Father, forgive me. And thou art always bringing forth the best robe. Every morning let me wear it. Every evening return in it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be wound in death in it. Stand before the great white throne in it. Enter heaven in it, shining as the sun. Grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, the exceeding wonder of grace. In repentance, in every sin, we're reminded of our need for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're reminded 
of His abundant grace and mercy. There is no sin so great that it shall bring condemnation on them that repent. Weak, incomplete, and lacking as it may be, our repentance is a gift from God, and it's most necessary for our preservation in the faith. So may this word be an encouragement to us as we recognize, hopefully more and more, our need to repent. And though it will, in some sense, discourage us, as any sin should when we sin, may we be reminded that even in that, God has given us a grace, a gift of repentance, that we can turn from that sin, that we can recognize it for what it is, turn from it, confess it, and receive grace and mercy um, to go on and grow more in holiness and see the beauty of Christ more and more in our lives. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we do thank you that you have given the gift of repentance not simply in the act of conversion when an, a lost soul sees their sin and rejecting you and living completely for themselves, but also throughout the life of the believer, even the mature believer as the great Apostle Paul, as far advanced as he was, we may, in our estimation, we are reminded that he was a sinner, the chief of sinners by his own estimation throughout his life, and we are in constant need of repentance. And we thank you for that gift that you've given to us continually to preserve us, to keep our hearts from going, growing cold, to keep us from pride, to keep us from spiritual apathy. I pray, Lord, that you would renew our repentance daily and that we would be humbled in ourselves, but we would be encouraged and strengthened because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you bless this word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm.